In the beginning was the world. Oh, see, you think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? He's just you think Jesus is some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts! Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Well, we're here at uh, New Hope Christian Bible College uh, in the middle of Eugene, Oregon. We've had an incredible trip over here and we're sitting here with Pastor Wayne Cadero, or Dr. Wayne Cadero, I should say. Now, uh, Wayne has uh, been overseeing New Hope Oahu and the New Hope National Churches for a number of years and is transitioning to spend some time over here in Eugene, Oregon, and he's got a farm. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Wayne Cadera before, he's the author of a number of books. Uh, he owns a Harley Davidson, and uh, he used to be in a band called Manor Bread and Co., uh, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> I've seen, I've just seen the album cover, and yeah, he was cool. Uh, he's still cool, and uh, it's a real blessing to have uh, Pastor Wayne Cadera here on History Makers. Uh, firstly, mate, uh, tell me uh, how are things going here at the Bible College? Well, Matt, first of all, it's great to be with you, and uh, it's an honor to be able to address people about what God's doing, because He is doing great things. Here at the Bible College, our, our hope and our, our focus is on the future generation. Now, like David, when David uh, got older in his life, he focused on the next generation. You know, he brought in all of the building equipment, all of the materials for the temple. He didn't build a temple, but he made it ready so that the next generation of leaders, Solomon, could actually continue to follow God. And uh, for many of us, uh, for me included, my greatest ministry is going to be in the next generation. And so I, too, in that David way, want to invest in young men and women who have a call, like I did, and we want to make sure that they're prepared. One of the things that I'm realizing is that, uh, you know, the future of our churches, Matt, they, they don't suffer from a lack of leaders. They're actually suffering from an overabundance of underdeveloped leaders, Young men and women that have a zeal may even have a call, but they are unprepared. And so they do the best they can, but many mistakes and fears are wedged into their decisions, and then they've got to live by the consequences of that. So what we want to do is do the best we can through the scars and sufferings that we've received to impart to them some wisdom so that they can avoid many of the pitfalls. Now, I've just discovered recently that this was actually your Bible college. You were trained here. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, go back to the beginning and find out a little bit about your story. Uh, tell us about uh, where your upbringing was and what was your upbringing like uh, before you uh, ended up at Bible college. Well, it wasn't the ideal um, uh, upbringing. My father and mother divorced. It was a messy divorce at a very early age when I was about six years old. And I remember the fights and all of the fuming and uh, then... My father would leave and uh, come back and leave, and finally he left with another lady. And uh, so my mother, being a single mom now, had to raise four of our chil- us children and on a waitress's a, uh, salary. And uh, my father went into the uh, went overseas in the military, and uh, he was able to take more dependents with him. And my mother had remarried, so it was tough on her. Now she had two more children, so there are six of us, and uh, so. 
Some of us went with my dad. We went over to Japan where we lived for three years, and my father was very, very strict. I tell people he disciplined us in the true military fashion. He laid down the stripes until we saw the stars. <laughs> and, and so he was extremely strict, very, very strict, and so much so that four of us started with my dad. Two of them, my older brother and sister, actually left and went back with my mother in Hawaii. And uh, then my dad moved to Oregon. That's where he retired, and that's how I got here. Well, I uh, was—I uh, did not follow Christ. I was, although I was in a Catholic parochial school, I had—I didn't have a didn't have a, a clear relationship with Christ. I was on drugs. I was in a rock and roll band at that time, and uh, living with a girl. And I, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. Well, I went to a college, a community college, to study music and business. And uh, there, a Christian music group came and did a concert. And then I thought, wow, if you can play music and love God, I, I might be open to that. And so that's what started my journey and my quest to find out. So it wasn't long after that, about, oh, three months later, I received Christ. It was about May of that year. And uh, July, uh, I came down to Eugene, Oregon, because I felt God had called me not to just be in the family of God, but to be a minister in the family of God. So I came down to this college that I'm now the president of and started off as a young 19-year-old, fresh, wet-behind-the-ears, young Christian, and that began my journey. Uh, one of the other things I remember you sharing with me that really impacted me and, and uh, was very creative was a, a Dr. Seuss poem that you'd memorized and you were able to quote uh, in your message. Can you, can you share that one with us? Yeah, it's just about uh, identity. You know, we forget who we are and, and uh, we just don't think we're good enough to, to teach, to help, to serve. And we just recede and shrink into the background and let others do it. And we just say, well, we're not good enough. And it's time for us to take a hold of the, the uh, plow and plow. When I first started teaching Bible studies, I was 19 years old and I was brand new in Christ, and someone asked me to teach a Bible study, I had no idea who Jeremiah was. I had never heard of Elijah, and uh, I, I couldn't pronounce most of the other names, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to study and study and study, and I realized that the more I studied, the more I grew, so I started taking not only one study, but two, three studies a week when I was 19 years old. I was not even a year old in Christ. And I realized that the more I got involved, the more I, more I grew. And if I didn't get involved, I stopped growing. So I say to people, you know, uh, you've got God believes in you, and it's time for you to believe in yourself. It's time for you to take leadership. So Dr. Zeus says, uh, gives us a poem that's called Happy Birthday to Me. Kind of like God believes in you. Start to believe in yourself. So it goes like this. If you'd never been born, what would you be? You could have been a rock or a toad or a tree. Or worse than all that, you could have been a wasn't. Now, a wasn't has no fun at all. No, he doesn't. A wasn't just isn't. He isn't present. But you, you're right here. Now, isn't this pleasant? Today, you are you. And it's truer than true that there's no one alive that's youer than you. Shout out loud. I'm glad of who I am. Thank God. God, I'm not a rock, a clam, or a ham, or a dusty old jar of gooseberry jam. I am what I am, and it's a great thing to be, if I should say so myself.
Happy birthday to me. <laughs> now, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're a busy man, uh, but uh, we've got a, a bonsai tree here next to us and, uh, you know, part of your Japanese heritage. And uh, I remember you sharing a wonderful story about uh, the importance of pruning the bonsai tree correctly. Do you want to just share that story with us too? <laughs> well, I, I use this story to talk about how uh, pastors and their leaders need to see the beauty in their church. And uh, I, I was in Hilo, and I'm half Japanese. My mother's Japanese. My father's Hawaiian and Portuguese. And uh, I loved uh, bonsai uh, trimming and, and shaping of trees. And so there was this very well-known bonsai master that was coming to Hilo. And uh, so I paid, I think it was $20 or so, to go to this bonsai exhibition. And so there's about, oh, 15, 20, 30 people in this room, when this man, this roly-poly Japanese man entered, balding with a, a holster on each side with a pruning shears, one on each side, and he was as wide as he was tall, and just a sparkling man, about maybe 65, 70 years old, and he walked in, he bowed, and we clapped and said, welcome, and he said, thank you very much. Today I teach uh, how to, you uh, know, bonsai tree. You must uh, learn to cut tree, make very, very pretty. So we said, okay, yeah, teach us. So he said, okay, we begin now, and he takes out like an azalea bush, and he said, we begin. So we said, okay, begin. Well, the first thing he did, he didn't take out his shears and started clipping. He just looked at it, and he turned it, and he turned it again, and he grunted, you know, mm. And he just kept turning it around for like 10 minutes. All he did was look at the tree, turn it around and around again. And then finally, like he was hit with a light bolt of lightning, he said, Yosh! And he pulled out his two shears and he just started clipping and little pieces are flying all over the place. And within just a few moments, the most beautiful, asymmetric, but balanced tree emerged and everyone was, wow, we all clapped. And then he bowed. Thank you very much. If you need a brochure on how to do an old bonsai, we have a right over there. Go pick some up. Né? So, yay. Now, I'm just stunned. You know, I'm just sitting there looking at him. thought, this is amazing. Because I'm thinking about the church and how you can take this church that you pioneered or you took over that didn't have much shape. And all of a sudden, woo, this thing is just beautiful. I looked at that. Well, everyone's gone, and he's sweeping up the little um, branches and things that he had chopped off and with his little brush and putting into a little trash bag. And I walked up, and I said, excuse me, mister, and I can't remember his name, so we'll just call him Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> so I said, excuse me, Mr. Miyagi, could I ask you a question? And he turned to me and said, hey, you, you can ask a grasshopper. Go ahead, ask a question. So I said, first of all, why did you just look at the tree, the bush, and you just turned it around and turned it around and looked at it and looked inside? Why did you do that? And he said, well, first of all, you must find front of tree and back of tree before you know how to begin pruning. And I thought, I didn't know there was a front of a tree or a back of a tree, but there really is. You bring a Christmas tree home and from the, the store, and you say to your wife, here, let's decorate it. What is the first thing she do, does? She turns it and turns it to find the front of the tree and the back of the tree. What side looks more presentable? So he said, you must find front of the tree. And then he said, secondly, you look inside tree, because inside every tree is a beautiful tree. 
You cannot see it at the fast because everything outside is a bushy bushy, but the inside is beautiful tree. If you don't see beauty fast, how do you know what to prune to? You might cut off beauty. So you don't start cutting, you look for beauty inside bush. Now when he's talking like this, I'm thinking, man, I can do a pastor's seminar on this because a lot of us, we just start cutting because we think, it's, it's ugly here, let's start cutting. And he said, then once you find a beautiful tree, you prune to beauty. And I thought, oh my goodness. Because you see, in my mind, I'm thinking, we come to a church and even if you're a congregant, but you've come from another church and it doesn't match your expectation of a church, or you're a pastor and, and you've you just gone to a seminar over at Willow Creek or something, the first thing you do is you come back and you think, oh, we must have widow tree. You know, we just chop, 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 chop. And then we look at the ugly mess we just made and then we say, oh, very ugly. I must go another seminar. I'll be right back, we say to the elders. And we run down the saddleback or something. And then we come back. Ah, I know the true shape must be like baseboard diamond. And we start chop, 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 chop. And then it looks uglier still. We say, ah, too ugly. I must go another seminar. And by the time we've done this three or four times, the only thing that's left of the church is this little stub sticking out of the dirt. We've trimmed everything down to a stub. And then we look at that and say, oh, I think God calling me now to another ministry. <laughs> and then we leave the church and then we this just left of the stub. That's why people, when they say new, see a new pastor coming, they all run for cover because they think, oh, he's going to change everything again. Well, the first thing we have to do as leaders is look for the beauty that lies within what God has called us to. There's a beauty there. And start with the beauty. And then you will have to trim, you'll have to prune, but you'll prune correctly, not incorrectly. So I never will forget that bonsai exhibition with that Mr. Whoever, Miyagi, that taught me so much from a bonsai exhibition about being a pastor. Man, that is just brilliant. I think every pastor needs to hear that story. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, I do want to ask for one more favorite story. Uh, it's a story I remember hearing you, you share in a message about a mathematician, uh, a first-year mathematics student who had an exam, and he asked if he could take in a, an A4 sheet of paper. You able to share that story one? You remember that one? Yeah? About which one now? The, uh... There's a mathematics student, and uh, he says to his professor, can I take in an A4 sheet of paper with some equations on it for my exam? And uh, and he he had a trick up his sleeve. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. The uh, professor said tomorrow you you take a very important test. And the student said, "Can we bring any helps with us?" He said, "No, it's not an open book." But he said, "Whatever you can get on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, but one paper only. Then you, whatever you fit on that paper, you can bring, but just one paper." So the next day, there was a graduate math student helping this guy take the test. And the professor said, whoa, whoa, that's illegal. And the student pointed down and said, no, look, he's standing on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And you said, whatever we can fit on that paper, we can bring. So here's a graduate student in math, and he's helping me. (laughs) And uh, sometimes, you know, we look at uh, our resources, and it's very small. We don't have enough money. 
we don't have enough, have enough talent. We don't have enough, and you fill in the blank. But it's like Jesus says, I can fit into that. I can fit into that. And we forget that even though we might have only an eight and a half by 11 inch sheet of resources, Jesus can fit on that. And when he stands before you, all the world is at your disposal. You know, there might be people listening and thinking, you know what, this guy's got so many great stories, he's full of life, he's got an amazing story about how he came to Christ, and there might be people that haven't made that decision to have a relationship with Jesus. Would you speak to those listeners now about how they could make that connection and and become a Christian? Yeah, it's, you know, the first thing is when God ignites a little thing in your heart that you say, you know, I don't understand everything there is to understand, but I know something resonates inside of me. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, the Bible says God has put eternity in the heart of every man, not just some, not just Christians, every man, so that when God speaks a word that is an eternal truth, it resounds, it resonates in the human heart. And if God is touching your heart in any way, and it resonates with truth, give into it. The best thing you can do And the greatest victory you'll ever win is when you give in to truth. Don't resist it. Don't stumble on it. Don't try to figure it out. Give in to that and let truth overwhelm you. And the Bible says in John 8, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Call on his name and you'll be surprised what he's about to do. Well, I just think that's uh, the best news. And I remember seeing the... uh the bumper stickers uh, or the number plates we used to see in Hawaii uh, about New Hope and it said, you know, it's the most eternal decision you'll ever make. And, uh, you know, I just think it's uh, an incredible, uh, you know, mark of your ministry that there's so many souls that have been saved. And, you know, if people are uh, wanting to respond to this, uh, you can go to newhopebrisbane.org or you can go to thenewhope.org and have a look at the Hawaii website. And there's information there about following Christ and journaling and all the information we talked about today. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com. And also you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.